As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams gonna throw. One on one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's gonna take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Connor Barth. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always. And today, we are back to recap Carolina's win over Georgia State, which gives Carolina their third win of the season in three games. It is just the second time since 2011 that the Tar Heels are 3-0, and the last time that they did go 3-0 and was the 2020 season under Mac Brown. So, Uh, It definitely wasn't the cleanest game. It's one that uh, there's still a lot of things that Carolina has to clean up. But on a day where three Sunbelt teams pulled upsets on the road, Carolina gets back-to-back wins uh, on the road against Sunbelt opponents. And it is the first time that Carolina has won consecutive games on the road since the 2016 season. So for Carolina, this was one that uh, could end up being big later on in the year um, because it gives them experience playing back-to-back on the road in hostile environments. Granted, this one, I think very far from the type of environments that Carolina will see moving forward, although I guess you really don't know considering the fact that Virginia did not look good the other day, and that's one of those places that has never produced a great crowd to begin with. But Carolina still with two more sets of back-to-back road games later on on the schedule, so hopefully this is a good sign for down the line for the Tar Heels. And uh, I think that you know that's that's kind of where that's kind of where I'm at with this game. I think you kind of are maybe in a little bit of a different spot overall after watching this game on Saturday but I think we can both agree that the goal of this team was to be 3 and 0 at this point of the season heading into that game against Notre Dame and I mean look it's it hasn't been pretty but they uh they they've got there and the team in Notre Dame that they're facing they they have a loss to a Sunbelt team just this weekend yeah I mean this is a team that that's 3 and 0 um I think you know what you got in your quarterback I think you know what you got and certain skill position players, Josh Downs when he's healthy, what you're starting to see from your tight end group, um, in, in your running back room, I, I I just I just don't know how good over overall the team is, and I think that's that's a weird spot to be in because usually when you start three and zero, you probably have some definite opinion of how good you are, and I don't think that that opinion right now exists with Carolina. Um, which which isn't necessarily a bad thing, um, but it's also not a good thing either. That yeah, you are three and zero, but you do have all these questions that exist, uh, mainly on the defensive side of the football. I mean, the offense was was the worst it's looked all year long on Saturday, and it still scored thirty five points. 
and they could still move the ball, you know, through the air and in the ground sometimes, you know, with, with Will. So it, it's definitely something that Mac Brown and, and this staff got to work on. I do think this, hopefully, this bye week will allow them to kind of maybe get some more answers about who they are as a team. But they're, I mean, being three and zero is better than being zero and three or one and two or or two and one. And right now, they're the only team in the country that can say they are, in fact, three and zero. So they they achieved the first quarter goal of their season. I just I, I think I think Mac Brown would have thought. Back before the season started, if we start three and zero, we'll have a, a pretty good idea of who we are. And I don't think they have answered that question just yet. Oh, I have an answer to that question. This is a Larry Fedora team that's being coached by Mac Brown. And that's not a good thing. That's this is a team that just, I mean, from what we saw the other day, and I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit more. But this is a team that pretty much can, you know, they, they, their defense is going to be one that has to step up during certain periods of the game, especially late, and make stops when they need to. And they've got a good enough offense to win them a lot of games. But overall, the defense is going to be what holds them back because there will be times where they are not able to make those stands when they need to. And, I I mean, I think that's kind of what we're watching. These first three games have reminded me a lot of the Larry Fedora era. So, I don't know. Maybe you know things can change here. They've got they, they've got more talent on that defensive side of the football than they did when Larry Fedora was there. But it's you you got to start seeing some of these guys step up. And the only way that I think that's going to happen is you got to start playing some of these younger guys. This is has to be a reevaluation period here over these next two weeks to sort of evaluate where guys are on the defensive side of the football. I mean, I would pretty much. I told you the other day. I think there are pretty much everybody outside of the linebacking core and maybe Noah Taylor and Kamen Rucker. Everybody else, their job should be on the line here over these next two weeks. There should be battles in camp or in or in practice, excuse me, uh, for those jobs. It's just that simple because I have not seen anybody else outside of those four guys that to me have earned their job to this point without question. I think everybody else you can you can be challenged for your job right now. And that's that's shocking to say, especially considering two guys that I think a lot of people thought were going to have breakout seasons and simply have not lived up to that uh so far this season. And Miles Murphy, who I get it, he got banged up the other day, but even before that he was kind of struggling. And Tony Grimes, you know, he had a couple of moments where he looked pretty solid the other day, but he had a couple of moments where he was beat. So They've got to find some answers here, and soon. And I think this is this is going to be that reevaluation period. But let's take a look at the box score uh, here from this game against Georgia State. Carolina, 467 yards of total offense, 284 through the air, 183 on the ground. Uh, one thing they did clean up, I'm don't we're not really going to go too in-depth on this, but I think you have to give these guys a round of applause for this. Four penalties for 50 yards. Um, that had been one of the things we were concerned about that after what we saw in Boone last week, and I don't think it's something that you can officially put uh, to the back burner just yet. It's still got to be in the forefront of a lot of people's minds, but you got to applaud them. We, we challenged them to step up and be better than they were a week ago, and they were in that department. Um, Carolina 6 of 13 on third down, continuing to be efficient on third down, 1 of 2 on fourth down, uh, and yeah, I, I think – you know, you look red zone two of two for Carolina, so they got the job done when they needed to. The concern: three turnovers for Carolina, none on the other side for Georgia State. Meanwhile, the Panthers, uh, 419 yards of total offense, 184 yards uh, through the air, 265 yards on the ground. 12 penalties, 87 yards. That was definitely something that helped Carolina was the struggles uh, from Georgia State in terms of their discipline. Uh, Carolina also really good on third down, 4 of 16. Georgia State was in the game, so Carolina, when they needed to make the stops, did on fourth down. Uh, But as I mentioned, no turnovers in the game for them. Three for Carolina was really uh, a big difference. Uh, For Carolina, in terms of their stat leaders, Drake May, 19 of 24, 284 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, the first of his career. 
Uh, meanwhile, on the ground, Amari and Hampton leads the way. 16 carries, 110 yards, two touchdowns. That's now two games to start the season for Amari and Hampton of the first three, uh, where he has had 100-plus yards rushing and two touchdowns. DJ Jones, real solid day for him as well. 10 carries, 61 yards, and a touchdown. Drake May, his slowest rushing day of the year. 10 carries, 15 yards. George Petaway, just five carries, two yards. All of that came in the first half. He was phased out, and really it was Hampton and Jones down. Down the stretch of the game. Meanwhile, receiving wise, Carolina once again uh, led in, in in receptions by Kobe Pesower. Five catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown on six targets. He did fumble uh, one of those receptions. DJ Jones, meanwhile, four catches, 23 yards for Carolina on four targets. Uh, Kamari Morales led the team in receiving overall. Three catches, 71 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, that long 55-yard touchdown that got the uh, got, got the scoring opened for Carolina was his big play. Four targets for him overall. Gavin Blackwell, solid day for him. Three catches, 37 yards uh, on four targets. John Copenhaver, a couple of big plays for Carolina, including a 47-yard catch on what was the eventual game-winning touchdown drive. Uh, and uh, the both of those coming uh, on just his lone targets of the day. Bryson Nesbitt, two catches, 16 yards on two targets for him. DJ, uh, J.J. Jones, excuse me, quiet day for him. Just one target and uh, no catches on the day. That, wa- that one target also was a drop for him on the defensive side of the ball for Carolina. Cedric Gray, 14 total tackles once again. A tremendous performance from him. 11 of those solo, two tackles for loss. Meanwhile, Power Eccles, the only other Tar Heel with double-digit tackles on the day. He had 10, uh, seven of which were solo. Uh, Carolina with uh, six overall tackles for loss. Noah Taylor uh, had one and a half tackles for loss. Both of the, uh, one and a, all of those were uh, sacks. Cayman Rucker, also a solid day for him uh, as well. Six Total tackles for him, uh, half a sack and a tackle for loss. So uh, overall, a pretty productive day uh, for Carolina in terms of the statistics. Uh, then you go over to the Georgia State side of things, uh, and Darren Granger, 16 of 24, 184 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Tucker Gregg, 18 carries, 79 yards. Granger, 18 carries, 75 yards. And Jemias Williams, 15 carries, 68 yards. So that trio that they have in the backfield had a really strong day uh, for a team that, as we mentioned, ran for 235 yards on the ground, 4.4 yards per carry. So a solid overall day for them. Robert Lewis, the leading receiver for the Panthers, seven catches, 115 yards, and two touchdowns on 10 targets. Jamari Thrash, Five catches, 53 yards. Uh, Outside of that, really nothing else going. Uh, No other receiver even finished with double-digit receiving yards for Georgia State. Meanwhile, on the defensive side of the ball, Blake Carroll leads them in tackles. 11 total tackles for him. He had a half a sack and a tackle for loss. You had uh, Jamare Hunter. Uh, or John Trey Hunter, excuse me, uh, 10 tackles, 10 total tackles, six of them solos, one sack, and one and a half tackles for loss. And then in the middle, the man uh, that we talked about so much, Jordan uh, Zeal, uh with a another tremendous performance this year against the Tar Heels after a good performance a year ago. 10 tackles for him, half a, half a sack, half a tackle for loss. So that is your look at the box score, and it is presented by Raycon. Raycon earbuds. Guys, you have to be checking out checking these out lately. I've been listening to a lot of games. As I mentioned, I had to do it again the other day. I put it right in my ear uh, while I was running the Charlotte FC game as well. Don't go back and check the records. The Charlotte FC game may not have ran as smooth as it should have. I'm just I'm kidding. No, it ran perfectly. Uh, and be, it was because of my Raycon earbuds. I was able to focus on both at the same time. Uh, and look, so far, uh, they have been great. One reason that they are great to listen to is because I I use uh, my Raycon uh, earbuds to listen to those games. The Raycon Everyday Earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable and they will not 
budge. Trust me, I have not lost one of them uh, so far this year when I've been listening to games. They've never fallen out of my ears. They're tremendous. Raycons give you eight hours of playtime and 32-hour battery life. So during the game, I don't have to worry about them dying on me. Raycons are priced just right. You get quality audio for half the price of other premium audio brands. I'm telling you, it's a tremendous deal, guys. It's no wonder Raycons Everyday Earbuds have over 50 Thousand. That's right, 50,000 five-star reviews. And there's so many other great features that they have to them. You have the awareness mode, which kind of allows you to be able to hear some of the other things going on um, around you. So even, even when I have it in, I can still hear the game. But at the same time, if somebody is talking to me or whatever, it does it, it gives me just enough to where I can hear them and not be distracted. And it also has three customizable sound profiles. So if you're somebody that likes to listen uh, to music on a certain level, a podcast on another level, and games on a different level, you can set all three of those. Those are tremendous features. Make sure you guys check them out. And as I said, I can't tell you enough about how great it has been to have these with me for these games so far this year. I hate it that I have to work during these games. Um, Look, I love my job, but at the same time, it does interfere with these sometimes, but having these earbuds have been a game changer because I could not do this a year ago. Now it is perfect for me, and I get to do both at the same time. It has helped so much. Go to Raycon, buyraycon.com today and use the code TPPN15 to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's code TPPN15 at buyraycon.com to score 15% off. BuyRaycon.com code TPPN15. So make sure that you guys are taking advantage of that. Meanwhile, we are going to talk about some of the storylines that come out of this game for Carolina. And I think really the first one that you have to go to, Carolina really uh, not the greatest day overall on the ground. We're going to talk about this from the offensive line standpoint at the end of our look at the Tar Heel side of things. But I think you got to give credit to this run game. They stuck with it. you got to give credit to Phil Longo for keeping that a part of the offense. It could have been easy to sort of turn this into more of an air raid look because Carolina, really outside of the interception, was having a pretty successful day throwing the football. But when Carolina needed to make a play, it happened in the run game. Omari and Hampton, 58-yard touchdown in the last minute of that third quarter, and that was pretty much what flipped the momentum back into the Tar Heels' favor and really allowed them to win this game. And look, he he finds the end zone on the game-winning drive as well. I think that Tar Heel running game, especially Amari and Hampton, deserves a lot of praise today. Yeah, I mean, it was something that they just they couldn't get going in the first half because they couldn't they weren't winning the line of scrimmage, and that was something we talked about entering the game was Georgia State's defensive line was going to be the fit and the most physical one they've seen to this point in the season. And when you when you probably project down the line, I mean, like, while Notre Dame may have more talent, and we Virginia Tech, Miami, Pittsburgh, those guys have more talent than a Georgia State. Their level of physicality was a difference maker. And you got to give really credit to Phil Longo because we've talked about him maturing as a play caller. In years past, he would have abandoned the run game with the, the inability to run the ball at times – um, in that first half, I don't think we were all maybe liking how much he was using Drake May in the run game on design runs, but it was something where you know you 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 needed to get those two to three yards to keep your offense on schedule. And by the second half, you had worn them down enough, and Amari and 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 Hampton just came into the game, and he's not a type of guy that you want to you want to tackle when you're tired. And that was very much what happened where. Georgia State was just so worn down from being on the field so much because their offense in the fourth quarter had finally stalled out to where they they were just lunging at them and you're not gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna tackle them with your arms you you got to be able to hit them and so I think that was the thing it wasn't pretty it wasn't sexy but they stuck with it even while their offensive line was was getting beat and by the second half in the fourth quarter those two to three yard gains became seven to eight or eventually, you know, the 58 yard runs, those big type of runs um, that, 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 that you want to see this offense have. But I think it really comes back to Phil Longo and sticking with 
having that confidence to still run the ball, understanding that while it wasn't paying off in the first half, you're hoping it was going to pay off in the second half, and luckily for him, it did. Yeah, and and going back to the touchdown run, I think you got to give Corey Gaynor a ton of praise. Absolutely cleared the defensive tackle out to open up that running lane right in the middle of that offensive line, and Hampton took advantage of it. You saw that that great combination. We saw the power. We saw that at times, especially in that fourth quarter where he ran for 40 yards. But that on, on that play, you saw the ability to get into the open field and hit the home run play, which early on in Mac Brown's tenure, that was some of the problems that Carolina had with guys like Javante Williams and Michael Carter. Even as talented as they were, they couldn't hit the home run play. Remember that 2019 season? They had so many chances to break off huge plays and they didn't do it. In this game, they needed that to be done, and uh, they did it. And, and this is the second straight week. Remember last week? Remember that Caleb Hood run? He didn't fit. He, he didn't get into the end zone, but that really changed the momentum back in favor of Carolina as well. So the run game is the one that has really helped Carolina swing momentum back in their favor in these first two road games of the year. And, uh, yeah, Hampton, I mean, he is off to an outstanding start. He is tied for the lead nationally with five rushing touchdowns so far this season. So Carolina, look, I I don't think there's going to be a situation where they're going to use him as a bell cow running back. I don't think you're going to see that. Uh, But I think that he he is making the case more and more each week to be the leader of that running back rotation. You'll see the other guys, but I think he's the number one guy. When you need someone to get yards for you late in games, it's going to be him. With that being said, I think the guy that was probably the most consistent throughout the day was DJ Jones, and I think he deserves a lot of credit as well. Carolina you know, kept using him in the run game just to keep that running presence, uh, and to have him in the backfield I think made a difference for Carolina in this game. Yeah, he's really shown his value, I think, really the, the, the last two weeks about what he can bring to this offense. He didn't look all that great in the opener against FAMU, but, you know, you go back to App State, he, of course, had the, the big wide-open touchdown catch that he made, and then th- this past game was just really the only guy really until Hampton got going in the second half that was having any amount of success in the run game. Did a really good job just keeping Carolina's offense on schedule. He had 10 rushes for 61 yards. Yes, I mean, so that's a 6.1-yard average. He did have also a rushing touchdown, and that's kind of what you're wanting to get out of him is just someone that can kind of just keep the offense moving. He's not as flashy or as sexy as Hampton or Petaway. He's kind of going to be your grinded-out back, but you need the, the, that, that type of guy, kind of what Antonio Williams was for this offense a few years ago as well. And uh, so I, I felt really good for him because this is a guy that – I think after the first game, we would all kind of we'd all kind of just bagged him and said, you know, we just want to see Hampton and Petaway. And then after last week, it was Caleb Hood, but someone had to step up, step up with Hood being hurt. This week, it was DJ Jones, and that's the thing about this running back room is that I think you know, no matter what, you've got three to four guys who you trust to step up and make plays. This past weekend, it was Hampton and Jones. Yeah, and that's the and you're right. That's the best part about it is because you know you saw Caleb Hood out of the lineup. George Petaway not as effective with a team that was so physical up front that they weren't allowing him to get to the edges. So okay, we've got guys that can run inside the tackles. Uh, let, let's you know we'll lean on them for this game. That's the thing that you like to see about the guys that this Tar Heel backfield has. Another thing you like to see. And I said it, you know, when we were talking coming into the show about the thing that reminded me of the Larry Fedora era, and this did, um, but they deserve some praise for it. Uh, the defense stood tall when they needed to in this game, um, and they were faced with a lot of scenarios where they needed to make stops because this offense was not great, and this offense deserves criticism. Um, I think Mac Brown, you know, w- what he said earlier in the week kind of came to fruition. Um, and hopefully that sort of woke some of these guys up on the offensive side of the ball. This team turned the ball over three times, and they were all pretty ugly turnovers. Um, DJ Jones, you still got to secure it, but he was, I mean, he was close to the ground. I thought that was about as close as it got, um, but you still have to be able to hold on to the ball. Kobe Pesor, 
you know, you you say whatever you want. What's a catch? What's not a catch? I think that was pretty clear that that was a fumble. You got to be able to tuck that ball away. And then Drake May, and I said it. I, I said it talking to somebody after the game. That honestly looked like a dude that threw an interception to throw an interception and get it out of his system. That was one of the worst interception throws I have seen in a long, long time. He threw it directly to. The I think it was a defensive back. It may have even been a linebacker that intercepted it. Um, but this defense was put in those scenarios three times off of turnovers, and they were also put in what is, I mean, by the way, what may have been the weirdest decision of any of the ones that we've seen so far this year, which was the choice to go for it on fourth and two from your own 39-yard line um, up twenty-one to three, and or no, excuse me, up twenty-one to ten. That's right. They had just they had scored the touchdown, uh, but basically, if you didn't get it, gave them the opportunity to kick a field goal before halftime and make it a one-possession game. Drake may get sacked, and the defense is forced to try to make a stop at their you know their own thirty-one-yard line, and they stepped up. In all four of those scenarios, the three turnovers and that turnover on downs, and held Georgia State to three points. Yes. They they did those things. They also gave up 28 points to a Georgia State offense that isn't very good. They also allowed a quarterback who the week before was 7 of 29 to go 16 of 24 for an efficient 184 yards and three touchdowns. They also gave up 235 yards rushing. So there was way to just uh by the way, way to just skip ahead on the rundown acting like I didn't have this prepped out. Well, because like as good as those things are, the negative is just as important because this is oh, a deep- it, it probably, to be honest, it probably outweighs the positive of what we saw on Saturday. This was but- a defense that for the second straight week, when the offense built up a lead, they relaxed. And we're just not good enough to do such a thing. And that's why this game, like the app game, was a lot closer than the game should have been. I think what you saw more in this game as opposed to the game against App was the staff make adjustments and the players respond to make the plays because they've been put in the position to to make the plays and they did a much better job in that fourth quarter of of making the plays but that like this whole idea that the defense bailed Carolina out in this game I look, I get that they pitched a shutout in the fourth quarter. They they also gave up 18 straight points at one point. Well, there you go. That's And again, I go back to it. That is a Larry Fedora-era defensive effort. And it's, it's so, it is so reminiscent of that where, I mean, real, look, the drive that they, that they had to score the first touchdown of the game for them in the second quarter – Carolina made some mistakes on that one, and you had some blown coverages. Okay, that's going to happen. You're you're going to let up points. The thing that really frustrated me was you come out after halftime and you let up one of the one of the worst touchdowns I've seen Carolina let up in a long time. Where Cameron Kelly, first of all, in one on one coverage, no idea why that's happening. Um, I, I just he's not a guy that can he's not he's not fast enough to cover in one on one. He doesn't have good enough footwork. He got turned around and then he takes a horrific angle to a receiver on an underthrown ball, overruns him, and then just completely quits on the play yep. and lets the dude score a touchdown. I mean that that one just that that blew my mind. And then after that, you really didn't have a response. I mean, you, they, they drive down, kick the field goal to cut it to one. You get a stop, but then you turn around and let up a touchdown. I mean, it was just, it was frustrating for sure that they, it, that's what it was. It's amazing how quickly the the switch can flip for this defense. 
where you can go from being competent, not great. I mean, look, they still, I thought for the majority of the game, Georgia State just pounded the ball right at Carolina and Mm -hmm. they had no way of stopping it. And that's concerning for me because, and again, people, most people are going to say, well, shouldn't the linebackers be able to fill the holes and make plays? Dude, it's on the defensive front. Primarily those guys on the interior because they were running right up the gut at Carolina and there was nothing. Ray Vosick, nothing. Nope. Miles Murphy, nothing. And, and look, I get it. I get it. Kevin Hester's not really that guy. He's more of a pass rushing type of guy, but you're in there. You got to get off blocks and make plays. There look. was one guy that I thought made plays and they didn't use him enough. Can we see more of Travis Shaw? Throw that dude out there because he was out there for a few reps and he made two plays. Let, let's see these guys because right now, I, I mean, it, they're, if you're watching the game on TV, you are watching your your defensive line, primarily that interior group, get absolutely manhandled in the running game. And there's there's really no answer to it until the defensive line just starts making plays because you have linebackers that are doing a pretty – Consistent job filling the gaps and making the plays and stuff like that. Your biggest issue is that you're getting run at up the middle. And then, like you saw yesterday with the Panthers, if, if they run at the boundaries, your corners and stuff aren't making plays. And so that, that makes it really hard for you to stop the run. And I, I think the thing about this defense that I think we all just thought was going to be better was I think we just thought they were going to be consistently more physical they were going to have a more consistent pass rush. And as a result of those things, they were going to force turnovers. That was what made that 2015 defense so good, was that they gave up They gave up a lot of yards, and they gave up their points at certain times as well. Yep. But they, they forced turnovers. Carolina's not doing that because they don't have a consistent amount of pressure on the quarterback to force them into bad throws or make them force anything. And, and so I think that's been the thing. I'm not really overly surprised that they've given up. I mean, outside of the 61, they gave up at App State. Like, I'm not surprised they get, they've given up the points they've given up because this has been a bad defense for four years. I have been surprised that they haven't been as physical. They haven't had as much as, as a pass rush as we thought we were going to get. And I have been surprised at the turnovers or the lack thereof they've created through three weeks. Through three weeks. And that's probably why this bye week comes at a really good time for them because they can kind of maybe reevaluate and reset some things and try to figure out, yep. you know, what can we do? What do I, you know, what can I scheme up? Switch personnel. You, you know, because that simple. Um, this type of defensive performance isn't going to get you very far. Good thing your offense can score, but I think you, you saw this week where the ACC might be vulnerable. Like, Miami didn't look good for the first two and a half quarters against Southern Miss. Yep. You know, Pittsburgh lost to a to a very good Tennessee team. We've already seen Virginia Tech lose at Old Dominion. Well, Pittsburgh, the other thing with them, we don't know about Keaton Slovis. So, we don't know what their quarterback situation looks like moving forward with injuries. So, that could open up the Coastal as well. You know, you, there's, a, there's a chance for Coastal chaos, chaos here. But the only way for Carolina's def- for Carolina to factor in that equation is to take, you know, still steps forward defensively. And, I mean, maybe you can build off of that fourth quarter. Yep. Maybe. It's possible. But I, 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 don't, I don't think you should have any confidence that they will because they haven't shown yet in the season that they can't handle success consistently. Because it's like you said, they could go – with one or two good possessions, and then something happens, and they're on the ropes, and they give up scoring drives of the three of their next four possessions, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're 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 on your toes, and your office has to go bail you out. So, you know, there, there's things to like. There's just nothing to really love about this defense. And I think we thought through the first three games, if you'd have told me this team was three and zero, we would have found something defensively that we loved. Yeah, oh, I would have thought that too. And, you know, again, yeah, they deserve credit for that fourth quarter. They held the, they held Georgia State to four straight punts to end the game, including two three-and-outs on the final two drives. So they, they made the stops when they had to. 
But yeah, it's there's moments where this team is just going to struggle, and I, I think you're right. When they get knocked back on their toes, it is impossible for them to regain themselves um, until they until they are behind. It doesn't make any sense. But then all of a sudden, uh, they were able to sort of turn things back in the right direction. And you said, you know, there's guys that really aren't as physical. I think there's guys that need to be pointed out, for sure, that are playing well. I mean, Power Eccles, you know, another good game for him. I thought Cedric Gray was 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 good once again, although last week, you know, the, that that's the thing for the missed tackles or for the linebackers. It's still missed tackles. They've got to get that cleaned up. I thought they did a better job. Uh, for sure, I thought they looked really good on Saturday, but those things can pop up at times. And then, you know, what really sucks is we're talking about the defensive front and how bad they've been. And look, I don't know what you classify Noah Taylor as at that jack position, but I think him and Kamen Rucker, again, played really well. They, they they carried over the fact that they made the biggest play in Boone, and I thought they both looked really good the other day. But the problem is, is that other guys around them, and look, it's not just the defensive line. This secondary is, I, I mean, I don't really know how to, de- I, I, is it a disaster? Like, I get it, you only let up 184 passing yards, but I don't really think that was Georgia State's plan in this game. And there were still massive amounts of miscommunication, wide open receivers. I mean, the touchdown on it, that, that made it 21-10 to 10 for Georgia State, dude, wide open. Like, yeah. it's just, there's not, they, this group cannot, they cannot do the things that Charlton Warren and Gene Chizik talked about when they came in, which was communicate well and limit big plays. And that's and and right now the secondary is not doing that. Well, the biggest issue the secondary is having is you've got a corner and Storm Duck. You got to you got to start rotating. Who now, is is who has been exposed? And I don't know, you know, if he's not healthy. I don't know what it is. Right now, he's he's almost a liability on the field defensively. Yep, you've got Tony Grimes who um, is still making plays in the pass game. They run at him, and so when you've got well, he's even hit and miss in the pass game. And so when you've like, got when you've got that dynamic, that really that really stinks. Cameron Kelly is not a starting safety in the Power Five I level. Mean, we've been saying that for a while. I mean, look, man. I, I mean, I, maybe he's a starter at Duke. Or like a bottom feeder power five school? I mean, here's my thing. He shouldn't be a – what else more do you have to see that – I mean, a lot of his plays are – they're almost by happenstance. Right play, right time. He's not physical. Um, as you mentioned, he literally just quit on a play that he allowed to happen. Yeah, I don't understand why he's considered the now. Which, by the way, this is this is now the more modern football term. We've used free and strong safety for years. No longer field safety and boundary safety. I don't understand why your boundary safety is typically the guy that's going to play more in the box. Why is he not playing that role if he's on the field? He is a. We saw that a year ago. We saw first two years he was with this team. He is a better in the box safety by a. Long shot because he does not have to play in space like he does as the field safety, and he just keeps getting exposed. I'm not look. I'm not saying move Giovanni Biggers back there because I don't think that's his spot either. I don't think that's his strength. Well, that's that's the problem. But I I mean, is there nobody else? Like I mean, dude, what happened to Dontavius Nash? Did he drop off that much from the spring? And I mean. It's just, I, this is one where you hope when Jaquarius Conley comes back, maybe he is the solution there. But I have seen so many people that believe that he is the missing piece and that will solve everything. Look, man, I like Jaquarius Conley. I like him a lot. He played really good back there last year, early in the year. But then as the season went along, you know, he even had some of his struggles. I'm well, not he saying also he's played not really be good on a bad defense. So it's not like he's going to come in here and well, be. Well, but okay, but is he? Be- Here's my thing: Is he an upgrade over Cameron Kelly? I mean, that's a the, the answer is yes. Do I think it's going to so, be a night and day difference in this defense? No, no, I, I don't. I don't really think. I think so I, I still think they'll have communication issues. I still think you'll have busted coverage. I, I still think all the things they're still struggling with, they'll still struggle with. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely possible. 
I mean, I think having him as the voice of that secondary could be better for them, could be a change. And ultimately, I think he is a much better athlete. He's much better in space, and he plays the ball better. Um, but yeah, I I think if you're expecting, first of all, if you're expecting one guy to completely change everything on defense, you don't really understand how the defensive side of the ball works in football. You can have guys on the offensive side of the ball, a dynamic receiver, a dynamic running back, mainly a dynamic quarterback that kind of change everything. In on defense, pretty much the only thing that can change your defense entirely is the return of a dynamic pass rusher. Well, that's what... Other than that, I don't know how much a safety is going to help you. It can help a little bit, no doubt about it, and I want him back, believe me. But I don't think it's going to be a night and day difference like you're saying, like some people seem to think. Yeah, and I mean, as for what, you know, like I don't know about you, when I got moved from, from fullback to linebacker, defense night and day. First of all, you got moved from fullback to linebacker. How bad was this team hurting for linebacker help? Um, pretty bad, apparently. Then I went on to lead the league in county, uh, lead the county in tackles. Missed tackles? Uh, no, in actual tackles, and we pitched are you sure? uh, three strut out, three uh, strut uh, shutouts in four games. Can't even talk. So, it, it, it who were it, the team? Who were the teams you beat? Huh? They were, you know, Buford. Lancaster. That's the uh, Lank. Okay, now you're just lying. The Lank- other Lancaster. Lancaster, get out of here. Th- these were this was wreck ball. I'm just saying that was the type of impact your boy made. All right, move on from the fake story already. Y- y- but like, I think I think the simple answer is, I think Chizik has shored up a lot of things to where when they probably watch the tape, he's probably blaming them more than he's blaming himself. Whereas last year, I mean, everybody knew. I mean, hell, our own players were saying. We weren't trying to prepare because Jay Bateman was a joke of a defensive coordinator at this level. But I, I, I think they know internally, kind of like with their offense, you know, they're never going to get where they want to get to until they get results out of that defensive line. And, you know, it's 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 time for Des Evans to actually do something. Um, but I, I think well, I, I, I got to tell you, I don't think that he should be starting. I, I, I forward. I, I also, think also think Rucker, they know kind of like how we probably felt like last year on the offensive line. Tim Cross is probably just a walking duck, and you don't usually see position coaches get fired, you know, during the season. So I'm not gonna say he's gonna get fired during the season. Well, look, that's got to be a staff change unless there's some improvement shown. Over the next nine games. I mean, I said I said it. I said it last week. I think that the holdover position coaches right now have an eye on them. They are being watched closely, and Tim Cross is in there because you have arguably. I mean, it might be the most talented room on the whole team if you just look on paper, pure talent coming out of high school. Maybe even more than receiver or running back, which is saying a lot. And they're not producing. And I think it's not only them. I mean, at some point, and man, I think he's done some good things here, and he seems like a really excitable guy, and the players seem to love him. Maybe you keep him on in some other role. Maybe you got to question some of the dudes on this strength staff, including A.J. Blue and those guys. Like, I just, I, I don't. I don't know, and it sucks. It's it's really early to be talking about this, and I want to move on from that. And c- look, this team is three and zero, and we're talking about what's wrong with this team because there's a lot that's wrong with the three and zero football team. On and it's and what sucks is it's really on one side of the ball. The rest of this group is pretty good, and there's and and I I would I would dare to say that the linebackers are pretty solid. It's just, it is really right now two units that you are just, you are praying can find some answers. And like I said, I hope they use this time to reevaluate the personnel. That's the biggest thing they've got to do. They've got to open these jobs up to everybody in these rooms. And it doesn't matter if you have a scholarship or you're a walk-on player. If you are good enough to play, you play. It's that simple. Um, But, hey, look. Again, I said it. 3-0 and team. Let's stop talking about that. Let's talk about some other positive things. Back on the offensive side of the football. Um, one, eh, maybe not not positive, but it's not really negative. Um, and that's the offensive line. 
Um, I mean, look, I thought they struggled early in the game to get push up front, but I think, as you said, man, that defensive line for Georgia State is a physical one. And I know that South Carolina's offensive line, a lot of people have major concerns about them, especially after they got destroyed by Arkansas. It's not very good. For a majority of the game. But I also think that this Georgia State defensive front deserves a lot of credit. Um, But Carolina, to their credit, I thought, as you mentioned, in that second half, really late in that third quarter into that fourth quarter, Carolina wore them down, and this is what we've been wanting this group to do, even if they're not you know, the, the group that dominates the entire game. I thought when they needed to step up, they did. Um, but look, they allowed three more sacks. Uh, this was probably the most consistent pressure that they've seen all season long, although I will say that uh, Georgia State dialed up the most pressure of any team that Carolina has seen so far. They clearly trust, and I thought their corners were – Pretty solid, uh, no doubt. Even the even the touchdown grab by Kobe Pesor, the coverage was really, really good. Drake May just made a damn good throw, and Kobe Pesor made a great play uh, to dive and make the catch. Um, but I thought that in the end, Spencer Rollins' absence was maybe a little bit bigger than probably some people thought, especially after you know he struggled a little bit uh, in the week prior against Staff State. Yeah, and I, I I think this is this is the difference between Stacy Searles coaching the offensive line, I think, and the guy you have now in, in, in Jack McNeil because I don't know if this offensive line would have would have been able to, to make the adjustments they made up front to and and eventually wear wear them down because let's make no mistake, they got their ass kicked in the first half. I thought I thought Georgia State had really impacted the game up front. I, I think, I mean, Jonathan Adorno was getting tossed like a rag doll at times. Yeah, he had a rough start in the run game. But, um, but in that second half and, and really in that fourth quarter, when they were kind of needing to grind out some yards and just grind out, you know, the, the clock and everything, they were able to do that. And I think that's something about this offense is, you know, they needed to evolve and become a more complete offense because – the first couple of years, look, this was a great, this was a good offense, but it was predicated on big time plays in your passing game and stuff like that. We're now seeing this offense evolve and how they utilize their personnel, whether you know if they put two tight ends on the field or whatnot. But in game, like Carol, like we Carolina couldn't really grind out games because as good as Michael Carter and Javante Williams were there weren't always consistent holes for them to run through, and there were just certain times where Phil Longo would abandon the run and put the ball in Sam Howell's hand, which wasn't a bad thing to do because he's the best quarterback we've ever had come through here. But there were some games that Carolina couldn't close out that they lost. Well, now you know you have the ability to close games out, and I don't know if you should be having to close games out at App State and at Georgia State. Probably not if you want to be you know, a team that you, you want to compete for a conference title. But you got to start somewhere, and they and now now they can they can look back and say, well, we did this in this situation against a very good physical defensive line that that for the first part of the game had had really owned the line of scrimmage. So um, it was another step in the right direction. You gave up three sacks, but I mean, some of that was the pressure they put on that. Some of that was was Drake not getting rid of the ball, an issue that we had with Sam. But all in all, in a game where this offensive line could have folded and all hell could have broke loose on that side of the ball, that didn't happen. And when this offense needed to go score and they needed to go and, and, and get big and get big plays in the run game, the offensive line was able to, to help them do just that. Yeah, and I mean, look, they, they didn't get help from the running backs, which I think that's one area Carolina's got to get better in as well. They have to have their running backs pass protect better uh, than they have so far. Um, they just don't have that physical guy yet. And maybe Amarian Hampton can become that guy, but he's a freshman. It takes a little bit of time. Um, I thought, you know, to to your point, um, I, I don't know if it was – it, it wasn't even really holding on to the ball too long. It was – there were a couple plays where – Drake just seemed indecisive. Like, there was one play in particular, um, I think it was the third sack. He steps up into the pocket like he's going to run. The lane's there, but for some reason, he second-guesses himself, 
and it, it allows them to you know close in and 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 drop them to the ground. Um, but I thought you know for the most part they adjusted, and you know last year that was a group that if if those would have started happening, it was a snowball effect. All of a sudden, they would start adding up four, five, six and a half, whatever. Uh, that did not happen. Carolina. Once again, just like they did last week, they had that stretch where they let up three sacks in a pretty quick, uh, it, quick happenstance. And after that, they, you know, they gathered themselves together and played really well down the stretch. And even Jonathan Adorno, you know, the thing is, first career start for him. So give him credit. The kid adjusted when he needed to, and and really stepped up for Carolina. Um, so I I think you know overall. Still, you still should feel pretty confident in this offensive line. No doubt it was a step back, and they got to be better against Notre Dame, who will probably present one of the tougher tasks that they're going to face all season. A lot of physicality. But I think right now there's still reason to be pretty optimistic in this unit. Uh, another you know, group that you should continue to be optimistic in, and I don't think you're going to have any trouble doing that, uh, is that pass-catching group. Kobe Pesor again. Another strong performance from him, despite the fumble. Again, something he's just got to, you know, know moving forward. You got to try to get that thing tucked as quickly as possible. And I think also, you know, that was just a good. Sometimes you got to just give credit to the defensive player. That was a perfectly timed knockout because uh, probably a second earlier, it's it goes incomplete instead of being a fumble. Um, so it was just somebody that made a play. But he catches five or six targets. And I think, you know, no doubt this dude has to be involved moving forward. Even when Josh Downs returns, even when Antoine Green returns, he will have to be on the field in some capacity. He's just made too many plays these last two weeks. Um, and I think the other thing is, even when those guys return too, Carolina's still got a bit of an issue because, yeah, we want Pesower on the field, but we also want the tight ends. Morales, Copenhaver, both made really big plays, and they did it down the field as well. We thought Carolina would use the tight ends in some of these short yardage situations, some of the you know the little safety valve dump off plays. That's not at all how they're using them. And these tight ends, once again, Bryson Nesbitt a little bit slower in this game than the first two games. John Copenhaver steps up. Man, this group of pass catchers, I mean, this continues to be maybe the most exciting group on this team. Yeah, you know, the the beauty of of Josh Downs getting hurt, and it started with Antoine Green's injury, was that it really forced Carolina to find other playmakers in that wide receiver room, and you found that in Kobe Pesor, but it really stressed the importance of the tight ends really emerging in this offense. Something I talked about all offseason long, for this offense to, to take the next level. Because this was something you saw Phil Longo use at different stops along the way. We haven't seen it yet in Carolina. And I, I think he's a big fan of that tight end group that he has. I know I sure am. And, and they're all showing what they can do, you know, whether it's 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 down the field, making making pass plays, coming out of wheel routes, whether it's just finding the soft spot in the zone that like like Nesmith did. No matter what it is that they're doing. They're all making plays in a variety of different ways, making helping out, you know, with 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 run blocking and pass blocking as well. So, it's been a lot of fun, mainly because uh, I I'm, I'm right, and and then, and that that that's that's almost what, what else is now is equally if not more important than anything else here. But I, I I you know I think it was something that this staff when they looked back when they looked at where they were going into this year. Knowing that they were going to have a young, inexperienced quarterback, tight end is always their best friend. How can we really advance their role on the offense? They found a way to do that. Now they've got three guys that that, that you can trust to be on the field to make plays, and uh, and and that's really significant. So, really happy for this group as well because now Carolina has a has depth at the wide receiver and that tight end position. Once Josh Downs and Antoine Green come back. That's going to make it really hard for defenses to to defend this uh, to to defend this passing attack, both both uh, horizontally and vertically. Just made up a word there, beautiful horizontally. It's a word. No, it would be horizontally. It's my words better. Okay, yeah, you're always right, as you just explained. That's right there. That's that's also right. Um, I, I'm always right. All right, all right. 
put the ego to the side, try to fit it in this room here, your big head. Uh, John Lilly, I think, deserves so much credit, and he's he's finally getting it because the last few years he has been putting in the work, but he has not been recognized for the work that he has been putting in for those tight ends. And for him to now finally get that recognition I think is great. Uh, The other thing, you mentioned it, when Antoine Green and Josh Downs come back for this group, Man, Carolina's got some decisions that they have to make at wide receiver. And I got to tell you, I mean, look, he had two really solid games to start the year. But J.J. Jones yesterday, uh, or uh, Saturday, one target, no catches, very silent, played 61 snaps, so he was out there. You know, it's weird, but is this, I I said this, this could be something that could cost him a starting job. Something as simple as that, because look, even though Gavin Blackwell didn't play great in Boone, he had one catch, 36 yards, made a big play. So right now, I think between him and Blackwell, there's a pretty solid battle going on for who's going to be that other receiver out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I it may be just a situation where you see a running back where whoever's hot you'll see out there. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's something that, you know, when you've got this much talent that's in that room and, and this much depth when you're full, when you're fully locked and loaded, you know, the it's, snaps are going to be hard to come by. And that that's a good problem to have. Hopefully, you know, the guys will be mature about it and that'll just make them, you know, work harder, study harder, grind harder to find their way onto the field to make plays. But, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good problem to be talking about this, you know, because you you have this uh, this excess of talent and stuff like that, which was something Mac Brown was was hell bent on getting here when he got here, because he knew when he got here the cover was was pretty dry outside of Deami Brown, Daz Newsom, and some other guys. So um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if if Downs will be healthy for the Notre Dame game, if Antoine Green will be back for the Notre Dame game, Notre Dame game. Because if not, you'll still need all these guys to show up and produce. In, 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 in their own unique ways. Yeah, I would I would put it like this. I would be stunned if Downs does not play. I think this one was probably strategic not playing him on Saturday. Um and it worked out. They got lucky they got lucky. They probably could have used him out there um because you know they had the three turnovers. But um I think Antoine Green is probably the bigger question mark. And we'll see. I'm assuming Mac Brown is going to give us a little update. Uh, last, you know, he mentioned him a couple of weeks ago. He said that he was progressing well. Um, so that's good news for Carolina. Let's see how that works out moving forward. Well, we're going to take a quick break here on the Heel Tough Blog podcast. Uh, let you hear uh, this week's ad from DraftKings after a crazy first week of the NFL season. They have a great deal going on. Uh, so make sure you stick around for that. And then when we come back, we will uh, tell you about a significant injury for that Notre Dame team that is coming in. There was some big news that was released today at Carolina in a top 10 for a 2024 recruit from the state of Virginia. You don't want to miss that update. Stick around right here on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast, back right after this. The NFL's opening week was action-packed, and it's just getting started. Get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. It's simple. This Sunday, bet on any NFL team to win, and if your team leads by 10 points at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses, Falcons fans. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TPPN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's promo code TPPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. There are plenty of ways to find out everything that you need to know about Tar Heel football and basketball. Just go to Facebook, search at Heel Tough Blog, and find the Heel Tough Blog Facebook page and like it. When you do everything, the articles, the podcast, all in one central location on your timeline. Not a big Facebook user? Head over to Twitter 
at HeelToughBlog on Twitter. Make sure you give it a follow. And you can follow the personal pages of our talents here at the Heel Tough Blog at HTB Anthony for Anthony Pagnata, myself at HTB underscore Josh for Josh Marlowe, and at HackZubber2 for our recruiting analyst, Zach Hubbard. Hey guys, welcome back in Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pagnata, Josh Marlowe with you guys. And as we mentioned, there is a big note for Notre Dame heading into uh, this week. They do play Cal before they come to Chapel Hill. Um, I believe that is home. I remember that correctly. I believe so because they open the year on the road. So I think Cal is in uh, South Bend and uh, they will be starting a new quarterback in that game. Tyler Buckner started the first two games of the season uh, and he's out for the season as of Monday with a high-grade AC sprain in his non-throwing shoulder. He will need surgery. He is expected to be out four months, so his season is over. That means that Drew Pine will be the starting quarterback moving forward for Notre Dame. Drew Pine coming off the pine. There he is. That's right, and he did it last year. We remember him. Most people will probably remember him from the game against Wisconsin where he came off the bench, went 6-for-8, and uh, threw a touchdown, looked pretty good. Uh, in that game, he ends up then starting the game at Cincinnati. Did not look very good in that game. Uh, Notre Dame lost that game, of course, and they eventually shifted uh, back to Tyler Buckner. Um, so th- this one is going to be interesting. I think Drew Pine is probably, I mean, I, you know, Tyler Buckner had his flaws as well. There's a reason that he was still starting over Drew Pine, but this is a guy that's experienced, uh, and he is going to be a bit of an an unknown coming in. Uh, when he took over the other day in the Marshall game, 3 of 6, 20 yards, uh, and a touchdown, but did also throw uh, that game-sealing interception, the pick 6 uh, for Marshall that sealed the final result. So we'll see. Uh, they are also extremely thin. If Drew Pine was to go down in the game against Cal, Carolina could potentially be facing uh, a true freshman starting quarterback uh, in Stephen uh, Ange- Angle- Angeletti. Excuse me. Uh, I should be able to get that. I am Italian, by the way, so I should be able to pronounce uh, the fellow Italian man's name. But uh, if he does end up having to start, that could be another interesting aspect to that game in Chapel Hill. So definitely worth watching. Uh, I think most people will be locked in on that game this weekend against Cal to get a good look once again at what Notre Dame can bring to the table Uh, on September 24th. Meanwhile, as I mentioned, Carolina in the running still for a four-star cornerback out of the state of Virginia in the 2024 class. Asad Brown II has the Tar Heels in his top 10, and this is one of those guys Carolina should be in it for a while. They have had a ton of success in the state of Virginia, and he once again is another guy from that 757 area. So, Carolina, I, I think this is, you know, they, they've wanted to take care of business uh, in that area over the past, uh, you know, w- once Mac Brown got back here, especially with a guy in Dre Bly who came from that area being on the staff, and they have done that so far. Uh, he's a guy from Chesapeake, Virginia, out of Oscar Smith High School. So this is one that Carolina is going to value highly. We'll see uh, if they are able uh, to, you know, make headway here over uh, the next couple of months. You would expect that he'll probably be on campus a few times during this season at the least. Um, I know that he is a guy that does have a connection with Tony Grimes' dad who does a lot of stuff throughout the state of Virginia. Um, So uh, that's definitely a guy that is going to be worth keeping an eye on moving forward for Carolina after they make his top 10 earlier on today. So that is going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. Make sure you guys head over to the website. We told you uh, during that commercial break about some of the stuff that we got on there. Uh, Make sure you check out all those articles. And then of course, we are going to be carrying you throughout the uh, bye week here uh, for Carolina. We'll get you guys ready then on the other side for that game against Notre Dame. Uh, But all the stuff is going to be coming out and we're going to do a couple of other little features here throughout uh, these next uh, this next week, week and a half as we wait for uh, that game against Notre Dame. 
all that stuff will be on that website uh, as well as all the podcasts, everything uh, in that one central location, HeelToughBlog.com. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tories. Hey guys, Anthony here. We want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.